0: and welcome to season five of business book talk hope you're going to enjoy this new season i'm really excited about it i'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned so let's get on with the show Hey everybody Bob again and I've got Gloria Moss and she's a second time on the show and she's got a wonderful book I couldn't help but ask her to come on again because hey listen to this title you're gonna love it why men like straight lines and women like polka dots and that got me just by reading it Then I went to start going through the book and it's amazing uh, so we're gonna have some a lot of fun today discovering why she did this in the uh, which why she did this Uh, We're going to do. We have an amazing discussion this week about uh, why this is uh, true and what the background is and all the details. So thanks for coming on the show, Gloria.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, um, I just wanted to jump at the very, very beginning because you use this great analogy, polka dots and straight lines. What's that all about?
1: It's shorthand, really, for saying that uh, over nearly 20 years of research that I've uh, been involved in, I have found that uh, what men and women create in visuals and what they prefer in visuals are pretty well poles apart. And uh, if you look at the sort of designs uh, and other visuals that men produce, very often we find a a predominance of straight lines. Um, Women tend to use more round shapes and that's brought out by the title. But the other difference is that men often prefer um, designs uh, which are fairly free of detail, uh, whereas women seem to prefer uh, to produce uh, designs that are, are, are much um, more replete with detail. Uh, so that's reflected in the polka dots and lots, of, lots and lots of detail in the dots, in the, in the polka dot pattern.
0: Well, you know, and it, it, it kind of harks back, we have, we had a little great little chat pre-show, um, and it did remind me of, of a couple of discussions I've had with other people about the similar type of topic, um, and you were saying that um, there is actually a physical difference between men and women, the, the way they perceive uh, details and colors like that. So, for our listening audience, can we talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, because if you thumb through the psychology literature uh, and and look at what that has to say about men and women um, and it's of course a very controversial area but if you look at what it says about uh, the way men and women see after height this is the area uh, on which we find more evidence of sex difference than any other areas Uh, and the psychologists are absolutely clear on this point there is enormous uh, amount of evidence to suggest that how men and women see is not the same. Of course, there will always be exceptions, but by and large, the psychology literature backs this up in a big way. So, for example, the, uh, the, the literature tells us that men have superior 3D vision over men. They have better targeting accuracy, better ability to... Uh, Imagine objects rotated at different angles than women do. Um, And in fact, men's eyes, I don't know if you know this, Bob, are actually set five millimeters further apart on average than women's eyes. And that gives them better stereoscopic vision as well as better tunnel vision. Women, by contrast, American research has suggested that up to 50% of women may actually have a fourth color pigment over men's uh, three color pigments and the move uh, up from three to four color pigments is an exponential one which adds hundreds of millions more colors to the array of colors that you can perceive. Uh, and and, and um, of course it, many of us know that a, a vastly higher proportion of men than women are colorblind. It's about 8% of men as against half a percent of women. So there's another big difference in the the area of color. And uh, finally, we can add uh, the fact that uh, two other things, Uh, women, it it seems, have better object location memory than men. So so all those jokes about women being able to find things in the fridge that men can't, that's really well backed up by the literature. And finally, um, it seems that Um, She is much more likely to look at objects in context um, and be concerned about how things relate to context than he is. And this is the concept of field dependence as opposed to field independence. Men are more field um, independent. They look at things out of context much more than women do. Hmm.
0: You know, it it, uh, it does remind me of a conversation, and it might have been our conversation last time, um, about the reasons behind this. And, and a lot of it was environment and how we evolved as uh, – uh, very basic creatures way back when and that women a lot of reasons that this pigment uh, exists is because it enables them to uh, pick berries and and, uh, when they're foraging they see it within the different details and for guys the reason they need the stereoscopics is because they're out running around trying to kill animals that are running around and they they need to be able to see uh, the difference in, in vast amounts of of uh terrain um so my question is now that we kind of know all this science and and uh people are or have this great literature to, to, to discover it how can they implement it in day-to-day uh communications like uh design and websites and product development should people be looking at um a product set is like we have to develop a, a product for women and then we have to redevelop the product for men so it looks slightly dis- different so they'll be attracted to it. Do you think we need to do it to that extent or do you think we can get away with what we've been doing up to now?
1: A very interesting question. Uh, we, good targeting of customers is absolutely an essential part of marketing and understanding the particular preferences of your target market, is the key to success, I think. And um, some companies are doing it right, uh, but I would say that this new science of perception, as I call, call it, um, opens the door to uh, massive improvements in what people across a whole range of sectors are currently doing. Um, basically, people want to... Um, be offered products that appeal to their visual senses. And uh, I've I've conducted loads of experiments. um, And what I found time and time again is that men like design that shows uh, the masculine tendencies or hunter tendencies. You you pointed out the hunter-gatherer thing. Um, uh, So men would prefer designs that present them with lots of straight lines, uh, few colours, few um, uh, few details really, they don't want a cluttered background, um, um, and they quite like themes that are inanimate. Uh, whereas women, if you want to present the, uh, stuff to them that they'll really like that w- with the wow factor, then you need to present them with something quite different, you need to present them with more rounded shapes, uh, more detail more pattern and a great deal more color. Uh, and then you really are uh, ensuring that there's a match between uh, the marketing or the product and the preferences of the men and women or, or hunters and gatherers, as we could call them. But if you look at actually what's happening now, well, if we just take websites, for example, as an example, and I quote this in the book, um, we know that uh, more than 80% of the purchases of grocery products are women. So what should websites aimed at those women or gatherers look like? Well, probably you'd want to present those women with websites that have the gatherer look to them, so lots of round shapes and colours. But actually, I did a a quick and dirty analysis of of, um, websites from around the world, and uh, I just looked at the the, uh, images and the, the shapes on the websites of very well-known grocery companies. So, for example, Safeway over in the U.S. I counted 12 boxes on their site. Uh, Kroger, another big uh, player in the U.S. market, eight. Monoprix over in France, they had 10 boxes. Tesco over here in the U.K., they had uh, seven boxes. And uh, another big player in the U.K., Sainsbury, they topped... The list with 18 boxes. In other words, all of these grocery producers are presenting their market of women with um, a design that consists predominantly of straight lines. I don't think this is optimal. And moreover, um, there's a lot of research that shows that um, people prefer to be presented with images of people of their own gender. There's some very interesting research that backs that one up, Uh, and it reminds me actually of a pub that I read about that wasn't doing too well, and um, somebody had the bright idea of putting mirrors all around the pub, and sales shot up, and why was that? Well, people like seeing images of themselves, people like seeing images of people of their own gender. Well, if you look at the Tesco website, Tesco being the big grocery player in the UK, um. There's not a single photograph, um, certainly not when I was writing the book, of a, a woman. Lots and lots of photographs of the, the men that they talk about, but not of the women. So yeah, I agree with you. There's, there's a long way to go. And um, uh, I, I can't blame um, companies for, 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 for not ensuring that there's a mirroring, if you like, of design with the people who are actually looking at the design. I can't blame them because this information is spanking new, really, this new science of perception. Uh, it's an evolving science. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to write this book was to present the latest information to people so that they can actually fix things.
0: You know, it is fascinating and, and uh, there's, a, there's a huge demographic shift going on. At the same time that we're discovering this, this this information that women and men are they they fundament, they fundamentally communicate differently the way they look for things is different, you've got this large demographic that's growing. In the United States for stay-at-home dads that because women have been liberated more and they are uh, in the office and and they do have the opportunity of they have the children and uh, once they're basically settled down uh, the father can actually take over and the mother can go and work her nine-to-five job in the office as an executive because quite frankly a lot of large organizations are desperately in need of more women executives um, um, so now you've got the guy who's at home basically doing the things that in 1960s the woman would do. And it's, now we've got all discovery. as like as a chain, uh, obviously there's more women. But it seems to me that organizations that are communicating to both sexes and, and have products like groceries where you, you actually have to communicate to men and women, they should do two totally different websites. They should have one for men and one for women. Because then you've got um, the other thing that is happening now is the acceptance and awareness of um, the gay community. So how does a man or a woman who is gay perceive these things? Is it that they have, they're they in a male body but they're hardwired as a woman and that's why they see and perceive um, objects differently? So that's another wrinkle in it. So, I'm wanted to know what are you recommending for organizations that now have read the book, understand it? What should they do? I mean, should they actually diverge and have two different sites, or is that going to be a political nightmare?
1: Uh, I, I It's a fascinating question and an all important question. I think it's in the end down to the demographics. so if 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 you have a um a sort of mixed audience, with roughly equal numbers of men and women, uh, as you do, for example, in many sectors like higher education or the telecoms industry, then I think what you want to aim for, uh, if we're talking websites, is a website that has elements of both aesthetic there. Uh, And if anything, you should move the the, the aesthetic in the female direction, because I did some experiments which showed that um, this was in response to uh, website design that women um, liked the female elements uh, across every aspect of the website, whereas men um, they showed a, a predisposition for the more masculine features, but they were prepared to tolerate some of the more feminine features. So if anything, we should nudge things a bit more in the female direction and that would bring the men with us in a way that having everything at the masculine end will not bring the women with us, if you follow what I'm saying.
0: That's fascinating. But
1: where the the demographic is more skewed one way or the other. Um, So, you know, if we were were chatting um, earlier about your passion for photography, um, men buy more SLR cameras currently than women do so if you had a web website selling slr cameras then um, you you know you'd be on very safe territory if you made sure that the aesthetic was very hunter in in appearance very masculine in appearance conversely if what you were selling um, was grocery products which currently is still dominated by female consumers then you want to uh very possibly have a look that is quite strongly female So it's all down to the demographic, I think.
0: Yeah, it it is fascinating. I think a lot of uh, the reasons that uh, we have... Uh, this uh, gender bias happening right now visually. Number one is uh, when you're presenting to an organization, if they don't have a lot of women on the board and you're dealing with five or six men on the board, the head of marketing and the CEO and the CFO, uh, and you're saying, this is what we're going to do, and say, I don't like it, it doesn't work for me. It's because you're presenting to the wrong demographic. It's almost like you want to go in and say, look at guys, you're not the target demographic. So if you don't like this, that's a good thing. And and, and kind of like coach the conversation that direction. If you like what we're showing you, then we got to go back to the drawing board and produce stuff that actually turns you off. And really, you should have three or four women come into the meeting and present to them, and then the the, the decision-makers should watch the reaction, say, oh, I like that, and that page is nice, and the, ooh, and if you're getting that type of reaction, then you, you, you've got a home run. But that's not happening. You're kind of presenting in this va- male vacuum, and uh, of course everything's biased that way. So I, I think it's very valuable that we have resources like this book because you can't just you can just say it. You say, oh, well, actually, you're not the demographic. You've got to say, based on this book which I'm giving you guys to read, this is the reason we're going to be presenting in a totally different way from now on. Um, And I think that's the responsibility of the advertisers and the communication departments um, to step up and educate the C-suite because their job isn't in communication and and, um, how to get the point across. Their job is to run the company and have... um, you know, how uh, how we're gonna drive things forward and what the profit margin is and all that type of stuff. So yeah, I think it's a very valuable tool.
1: Well I'm pleased you said that. And and this book is written in a very lighthearted style. Um, and um, I mean after all it's 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 a it's it's a subject that affects us all in many aspects of our lives, both in terms of what we buy and in terms of the relationships we have, because you know, we're making decisions on the home front as well as in, in, the, in the, the shops. And so it is, a, I hope, an enjoyable read as, uh, as people learn about all the exciting new evidence out there and the new world that we can all co-create, really.
0: Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the books that I get out of out of Europe, out of England, um, they, they tend to be uh, a little on the dry side and um, not really designed for the North American market, which they prefer uh, books with larger fonts and uh, are uh, shorter, not longer, and uh, more entertaining and less detail driven. And you've done a remarkable job in actually producing a book that I think is going to be very popular in the North. American market.
1: Well, I'm pleased you said that. And I've got actually many examples from um, North America in the book. Um, um, For example, in the chapter on architecture, I go underground and look at the art on the New York subway that was created as part of the Arts for Transit program, which was aimed to help um, address and reduce the 15,000 annual felonies that took place. Um, on on the network, and um, there's a nice quiz in there where where I sort of describe the straight station art and give the reader the opportunity to to guess the gender of the artist. And um, so you know, there's the, there are American examples there in the chapter on advertising. Um, I look extensively at the views of uh, an American creative advertiser, Tom Jordan. And his fascinating work uh, from and his inside view and insights on what's wrong with advertising today. Um, And a lot of that is in a very, very U.S. context. So there's a lot there for people on the other side of the Atlantic, as there there is for people in Europe, uh, people in Asia. Um, um, We have a global world today, so it doesn't make sense not to include as many parts of the world as possible.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now
1: let's dig down a little
0: bit more about the book. Um, You know, it's broken up into part one and part two. Um, Do you think somebody can get away with skipping part one and going straight into part two?
1: Ah, it's an interesting question, yeah. Um, Part one deals with the background studies for this new science of perception. And And part two looks at the implications and, yeah, I guess you could go straight to the Implications chapter. And, um, as I say, it's very readable style. Um, and, um, I don't know, what do you think? Well, uh, read the book
0: well, I would say, you know, um, if you jumped in and cheat, because a lot of people do. You know, they have a lot of time. Even though it's a short book, they say, God, I don't have time for this. I'll get chapter two. That's advertising. That's me. And they'll read chapter two, uh, not chapter, chapter six. Um I think what happens is you start reading stuff and then you say, well, okay, I'm going to jump to nine now and you start reading about the world of art. And then you start to say, well, what's the theory behind all this stuff? I mean, and then part one becomes really, really interesting. So really, to, to I would recommend people should um, read Part one. So my question to you is: like, there's four chapters. Out of those four chapters, we've got somebody just can't wait. They have to to skip around. If there's one chapter in part one, what what do you think they should read?
1: Oh, well that's an interesting one. The, the first chapter is an introduction, and with lots of anecdote. I, I guess um, that's a nice way in. Um, but I guess that one is not as important, probably, as the I think. Chapter, chapter 3 would be the one I would say is a must read because Chapter 3 is the one that looks at preferences and that um, presents readers with the information that each sex has a very strong tendency to prefer visuals created by their own gender. And I think that's such an important finding that I think um, that's a must, a must that, that Chapter 3. But equally well, Chapter 4, which explains why these differences exist, I think is also important. And you talked about the evolutionary factors, Bob. I think that it's essential that people understand that some of these differences that the book talks about are hardwired and hardwired over hundreds of thousands of years of human history uh, when men and women were, as you aptly described it earlier, um, had a division of labor uh, based on hunter and gatherer activities. And this hunting and gathering uh, division of labour operated for 90% of human history. So we're not just talking about short-term social influences. We're talking about social influences that have acted on men and women for 90% of their history. And no wonder we find these differences you know, if, if men and women were, for 90% of their history, operating this division of labour where he was hunting and she was gathering, it's not really surprising if physical differences followed from that. Maybe, uh, with the passing of time, if, if we don't continue as hunter and gatherers, which we don't seem to be doing in modern consumer society, maybe we'll find that some of these physical uh, differences in how men and women see disappear. But we'll have to wait you know, for hundreds of thousands of years before we can see if that does uh, turn out to be the case.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's, if you look, I mean, if we're going to talk, start talking science fiction you look at what happens at uh, let's like a show uh, like Star Trek where they have machines that build the product and you actually don't have to gather anymore you just have to stand up and talk and say uh, make me a coffee hot black and, and, and it just appears by reassembling the molecules now that sounds like a pretty far, far-fetched far thing but actually there are 3D printers now that are producing stuff that, and, and they're very primitive but for sure those 3D printers are going to go and they're gonna, we're going to have those uh, starting to assembling molecule by molecule um, products so what happens then so I don't think that things are happening and evolving so fast I really think that 99% of the stuff in this book is going to be uh, still effective way in the future because um, we're still going to be stuck things are going to evolve so much so the body is basically going to stay the way it is now is, is am I Talking bunk here, or is it basically, if things are evolving very, very fast, does the human um, system, where it slowly evolves in that particular direction, not bother with these short-term changes and and thinks more way more long-term?
1: Well, I'm not an expert on on that, but I would guess that we're pretty well stuck with the features we have at least for the next few hundred years, and if companies want to increase their profitability, then they really need to understand this new science of perception because it's a fantastic new tool. And I, I call it a science because we can actually uh, put guesswork to one side. You know, we, we do, all we need to do is look at the demographic that we're trying to target and then produce design, marketing, buildings, whatever it is, that uh, that will uh, match the preferences of that particular demographic. And And there's enough research around now that we can be pretty... Um, precise now about what will appeal and not appeal to a particular demographic group. Um, the only problem I found in some of the consultancy I've done is that a lot of companies haven't actually bothered to ask themselves the question as to who are they selling to.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a, that's a killer one. It yeah, and, and so
1: I, I, I think I described this in the book that I did some work for a very large North American car manufacturer and they asked me to advise them. And my first question to them was, "Well, you know, how do you understand your demographic? Who do you think is buying cars?" And I asked the same question to a very large uh, global pharmaceutical company that asked me to do some work for them. And neither of those companies knew anything about their demographic in in gender terms. I was able to actually supply some information, namely that when it comes to automobiles. Um, um, marginally more women than men are actually buying new cars and when it comes to pharmaceutical vastly greater numbers of women are buying over-the-counter medicines than are men uh, and this is, this is critical information so I think companies need to get a bit wiser and they, start, they need to start moving away from considering only socioeconomic variables to actually looking at this gender of variable this gender of, this variable of, of gender uh, particularly as we said earlier the evidence for sex difference in this area is after height the most robust of all the sex differences so it's not something you can sensibly ignore if you have an eye on the bottom line <laughs> and in these competitive times uh, you know i can't imagine a company that won't have its eye on the bottom line
0: <laughs> um you know that it, it's the more i think about it, i'm thinking about you know the 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 web website because we all communicate with that um, and now we're kind of dis the the, the website uh, as a large piece of real Screen real estate is disappearing because more and more people have the uh, well, sixty percent of people are are looking at at content on the internet when they're on the go on their smartphone. So you're talking a a four inch screen, maybe a seven inch screen, maybe a ten inch tablet, but I would say way way small real much much smaller real estate now. With that in mind, and if you have a um, a skewed demographic towards the the uh, the female. Side of the spectrum. Is that a good thing? Because then you're tending to have, uh, le- well, actually, it's probably the opposite because a lot of advice I give to people is like, just strip out all the detail and just have three or four buttons because that's what people want to see. They want to know where you are, they want to know what the deals are today, and they want to know how to contact you if they want to talk to a human being. Really, that's all a website needs to do. And all the other stuff is totally, you don't need it. Now, am I wrong that? If you have a grocery store, you should have all that detail, and the all that information should be in um, a portable device. When when people are looking at like a seven inch screen or a four inch screen,
1: it's it's really about how that detail is presented um, in terms of the colours and the shapes and um, the patterns used, and even if you're constrained by space, um, this still applies because you can you can select different colors. I, I even discussed color combinations in the book, um, that, that actually there's uh, evidence that that women like colors that are closer to each other on the color chart than men do. Um, so I would say, yes, even if you're uh, really constrained by space, perhaps even more so, you've got to make the most of the space that you have. And so all the more important it is that you understand how, how to use color for your target demographic but it, 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 you know my way of thinking there is no single best way of doing things everything starts from finding out who the demographic is and then just simply matching um, what you're providing to the preferences of that demographic sector and then you know there's an awful lot of research on preference that shows that if people are fed um, stuff that matches their preferences they their, 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 there's an increase in their preparedness to pay a, a price premium for example their concept of the their, their perception of the uh, usefulness and utility of um, the the object or stimulus goes up um, and their uh, recollection of the objects or stimulus goes up so there are a bundle of benefits that accrue from actually providing people with visuals that match their preferences and however constrained the space.
0: Now, um, you know, you, you did mention something there that I thought was very interesting, that it's just, just get into it, do it. And uh, that sounds to me a lot like A-B testing where you say, well, let, you know, let's test this out. Let's see if this shape works and see if we get a better response from it. Do you think, uh, are we living in an age where it's better to... Uh, Instead of trying to figure out everything in a perfect and create a perfect business plan, it's better just that let's just jump in the deep end and see what happens. And maybe after six months, we'll realize that, you know, this isn't going to work and let's pivot. So it's almost like the go in, produce stuff, test it. If it doesn't work, get over that you made a mistake and then change it to try and make it fit based on your new data.
1: I think that's absolutely spot on. I think companies should be doing that. They should... um they should be, be confident to experiment uh, using the information in this new science of perception, which is quite specific. So it's fairly risk-free experimentation in that sense. But as you say, um, if they find that they're not getting the results immediately, want, well, then they can nudge it in a different direction. Um, but I've always found when I've helped companies uh, nudge them in a different direction that actually taking websites, they found that they've got more hits because there, uh, there was one uh, firm I was working with who had a, a website that was targeting predominantly women. And it was quite a hunter look, really. So um, even the male web designers um, uh, managed to nudge it more in a, in a feminine direction. And, and the hits went up very rapidly. Uh, but when I revisited the site after a, a period of time, I discovered that it was sort of moving back to where it had been before. And so I think if, if it's hunters who are doing the design, um, because their, their way of seeing is different from, those, from that of gatherers, that they probably need regular injections of training uh, to remind them you know, of, of how things should look from a gatherer perspective. Um, because otherwise they'll just drift back to what they're most comfortable with. And, and there are big organizational implications for these changes. It's not going to be easy. I mean, you, you talked about people who are likely to imagine that what they like um, is a barometer for what all customers should like. And that therein lies the nub. The nub. That, that is the problem. Because we tend to imagine that our own pro- preferences are universal. And what this new science of perception tells us loudly and clearly is that that is absolutely not the case. That there are a multitude of preferences. And the new science of perception has helped us enormously by enabling us to identify the elements that make up uh, the preferences of different types of groups. So, you know, guesswork can, can go, and yet um, people can launch into experimentation um, with um, a fair degree of confidence, I would say. Well.
0: Okay, so for our readers, they've read the book, they've, they now understand that there is a big difference how do they utilize this in their day-to-day work? I mean, if you're if you're the owner of a company, you're saying, "Okay, great. This is fantastic. Now, how do I implement?" Uh if you're a manager and you're, you know, halfway down the the supply chain, how do you communicate this knowledge uh in a way that's going to help the organization?
1: I think um there are many ways in which they could try to do that. They could um um, communicate through workshops or uh, written materials um, they could hand out the book because it's a fun read uh, so it doesn't feel like uh, um, you know training is being thrust upon you and then you can open it up to discussion and this is what I tend to do in workshops I tend to present the information and then invite participants in the workshop to actually look at their own products and marketing resources um, in in a critical way um, against the backdrop of the information that people have acquired. And that's a very fruitful way forward, I think, to actually um, encourage people to access the new information and once you start finding out about it, it's not rocket science it's it's, it's kind of easy to grasp Um, but then the next step is the all-important step, I think I don't know if you'd agree, which is relating that information back to the company's product and the company's demographic and saying, hang on, are we doing this as well as we possibly could? Is our advertising as finely tuned to the preferences of the uh, end user or purchaser as it possibly could be? And um, if you read the chapter on advertising uh, and your listeners read the chapter on advertising, what you what you discover is that uh, a lot of the way advertising is organised is absolutely crazy, um, because according to uh, Tom Jordan, who I quote extensively, he he was the head of uh, a Chicago advertising agency. Um, according to Tom Jordan, a lot of advertising is created um, not in order to um, uh, not with the end user in mind Uh, not with the women who buy 83% of all products in mind no, according to Tom Jordan uh, most advertising is created with the juries in mind who run the system of prizes that gets you up the greasy pole of the advertising ladder and of course the, the people who sit on those juries are predominantly men so according to Tom Jordan you have the somewhat crazy situation where most advertising is created not with an eye to pleasing the purchaser or end user the majority of whom are women but with an eye to pleasing <laughs> the people who are sitting on these juries that will give you the gongs that get you up the career ladder um, so uh, really I, I think just to, just to sum it up what people need to do is get their heads around this new information get their heads around the new science of perception and then, um, in, a, in a in a kind of dispassionate way, uh, look critically at their marketing and their product, and seeing if it really is fit for purpose, whether it really is likely to um, appeal to to the, the predominant demographic. <laughs> yeah, but it's not going to be easy. It's I mean, uh, uh, I've got a background in human resources, and I think. That the, the challenges for organizations are immense because I think you said a lot of the people currently at the top of organizations are hunter in disposition um, and they may well be selecting design and marketing which appeals to their hunter vision. And it's actually quite, it's quite a challenge to ask people to set aside their own natural preference in favor of a group of preferences that belong to another demographic. So, you know, help along the way is, 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 is needed really. It's quite, a, quite a, uh, a tall order to ask of people to set aside their preferences, but in many cases that's what they will have to do. And your idea of actually bringing in people from the target demographic to help these people on their ways is probably a pretty good one. Um, or, or doing a lot of market research is, you know, is one way of putting that into practice. But it is a challenge, but it's a challenge that can bring enormous rewards. I mean, the companies that really get this right um, can transform their profitability. I mean, don't forget we're we're in a world where the main demographic, the purchasing demographic currently is female. Currently, women control about seven billion dollars in consumer and business spending. And if you can really serve out product and marketing that appeals to that massive demographic, then profitability can only increase.
0: Well, you know, interestingly enough, I think it's a way more than that um, because... Uh, and and this is borne out with a lot of the techniques that are used by uh, people that sell uh, high end products, like a very expensive vacuum. And and I or say, oh, the vacuum salesman. But really, it's brilliant the way that they do it because they the guy says, look at I, I need to have the the husband and the wife in the room when the decision's made because at the, when it comes to the clothes, it's the woman that makes the decision. And I think in nine cases out of ten, the guy comes home and he says, I want my new car. This is the car I want. And the woman will debate him. So why do you want that new car with the kids? And da, da, da. And the guy will make a compromise so the woman is happy so that he can get a car that's pretty darn close to what he wants but still has the functionality that the woman needs. So I think, you know, the the – it, in the in the world of of sales, and all marketing is is communicating core. Points so that you can make an argument for your sale, they're not even getting close to it. So uh, I think companies like you say that get this uh, research and understand that it's not the male demographic that's making the decision. Nine times out of 10, it's the female demographic. And you can look at beer ads. The reason there's sexy women there and there's guys drinking beer and the women think they're so sexy is because they know that that's what influences guys. So, you know, we're pretty simple creatures that we now have to communicate to a much more sophisticated person that has different, um, biases. They desperately need to read this book more than anything else. Well,
1: I I think you're actually spot on that, that, um, even when they're not actually buying products, women are having a massive influence on purchases. Um, and currently, um, there's a high level of dissatisfaction um, amongst women. Uh, According to a survey by Greenfield, um, more than 90% of all women feel that marketers don't understand them, and maybe they don't. And so I'm hoping that this book um, will help people uh, bridge that gap, increase their understanding, but in an enjoyable way. Um, I hope they'll they'll actually see that this is quite a fun new science to get your head around, and um, uh, quite apart from anything else, an understanding of this new science of perception will even out differences of opinion in the home, uh, and I can imagine all around the world you can you've got men and women who are uh, frustrated because they don't understand why their partner, if they're in a heterosexual relationship, doesn't agree on the color or the shape of the sofa. Uh, and I hope finally they'll have the vocabulary through this book um, to actually diffuse tension and um, iron out iron out um, some of the problems. But you know, there is an awfully long way to go, as you say. Women, um, Bob, influence the vast majority of purchases. I mean, currently, if we, if we drop into the world of cars, because you mentioned cars, I only came across one car that had gone into commercial production that was actually designed by a female designer. And that's the BMW Z4 2009 sports car, which was designed by Julian Blasi um, in Germany. Well, to my female eyes, uh, and I don't normally wax lyrical <laughs> about cars, it is a thing of extreme beauty. Um, but I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, a man, um, Um, who works for a very big retailer in the UK. And he said he didn't like it very much. He preferred an earlier model. When I looked at the earlier model, what did I find? I found that the front of the car, of the model he liked, was very boxy in appearance. This car that I've quoted, the BMW Z4 2009, is the opposite of boxy. In fact, it's got uh, rounded shapes that uh, coalesce on, on the sides of the car body. And it's got a compactness, which I find enormously appealing. Um, but it didn't appeal to him so much, which which is hardly surprising, given the evidence uh, of the research that I've done over many years, that actually each gender has a very strong tendency to prefer the designs produced by their own gender. QED, I, I thought, when I was speaking to him. <laughs> Um, you know, that's it, it, you know, it
0: reminds me of I was I was uh, chatting with a buddy of mine, and uh, he's a photographer friend, and he came up and he he turned up in a VW Bug, you know, the new modern one, and I said, "Oh, nice car," and he said, "Eh, it's my girlfriend's," and that car is considered a woman's car because it's all round. There's no sharpness to it at all. It's the the it's the restyling of the VW Bug. Now, um, there's a Here in North America, there was a bit of a revolution that happened several years ago. Uh, When the smart car was introduced, it was basically the two-seater designed by Swatch and uh, manufactured by uh, Mercedes. And it it absolutely exploded. You couldn't get the car. The same thing happened with the VW Bug. You couldn't buy the car. Everybody wanted it. Like the, the people were following the trucks, going to the dealership. And by the time they got the cars off the truck, they were all gone. And they had something like an 800,000-car back, backlog. Now, if that is happening, it kind of goes back to the, what we were talking about earlier in the interview where guys are influenced by some of the femininity that isn't in a lot of products. So I think, you know, you're saying, talking about profitability and, and, and how – Going back to the sticky questions, how can we promote this new thinking in organization? I think you should go back to the hunter-gatherer pitch, and you pitch the book saying, hey, if we use this stuff that you guys don't get and don't understand, it doesn't matter because we're going to make a ton of money. And then go, well, okay, if we're going to make money, hunter-gatherer headspace, using the feminine thing, polka dots, let's try polka dots. Uh, And and you know if if we don't make a ton of money, no big deal. But if they do make a ton of money, then that's going to drive the organization in in that direction. And I tell you, organizations right now are very very bottom line driven. we're, We're coming out of this massive recession, but people are being very cautious about their cash flow. They're being very cautious about how they spend and what direction the company goes in because they're quite frankly they're very nervous. And a book like this could make the difference between your company uh, doing tremendous strides in the future, coming out on top of everybody else, and nobody able to figure out how you're doing it?
1: Well, quite. I mean, you know, this is pioneer territory, and I've worked with companies who've made the change. They've been ahead of the game, and they've seen the uh, benefits in terms of profitability. Of course, there are those companies who... Don't have pioneer instincts and they will keep sticking with the same hunter vision. I can think of a, a couple of big retailers whose uh, sales are currently nose diving. Um, and I can think of some very simple things those retailers could be doing in terms of their retail space, for example, to have greater appeal to the hunters who, uh, who are the dominant purchaser in the, in those, um, in those um, sectors. Um, very simple things. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Uh, injecting the, the gatherer look um, doesn't have to co- cost a lot. of money. I mean, if I, I'm not going to name names, but one of these retailers is, um, they think they thought they weren't a good thing in revamping their stores. Um, so I went into one of these revamped stores, and oh my goodness, I thought it was awful from a gatherer point of view. I, I mean, what we saw were... Um, sections of the shop um, designed in very different ways and conflicting ways. And I was standing there uh, thinking, ah, you know, there's a terrible clash between um, the section ahead of me and the section to the right of me and the section to the left of me. Uh, You know, why couldn't they have designed it all as they used to do in a single color, so that the field-dependent side of me, i.e. that's the side that likes to see things in context, all matching neatly, could be better satisfied. But no, what we had was a series of conflicting areas in the shop, which I guess would have appealed to the hunter. Because if you remember, we said that they're much more field-independent. They see things independent of the context around them. Um, but this particular retailer, is their sales are, are dropping monthly. Uh, I can see a clear direction that they could go in, but whether their predominantly uh, male board will have the pioneering instinct to put their foot on the brakes and uh, take the store in a different direction. Who knows?
0: Well, you know, to take the premise of the book, really, you shouldn't be approaching the board. You should be approaching the wives of the people in the board. And, you know, basically, I mean, if I was going to attack that organization and steal the account, what I would do is I'd contact the wives. I'd take them all shopping in their husband's store and say, don't you hate this? And and explain to them and give them all a copy of the book and say, look, if you want your husband to keep his job so you can enjoy your life, read the book and then tell your husband to call me on Wednesday and I'd be happy to fix their problem.
1: That's a really interesting idea because there there was U.S. research which actually... Showed that the um, opinions that a lot of men have in organizations are very strongly influenced by their wives. Uh, and that particular piece of US research found that um, if the that, that married men, that the men who are married to non working wives were less likely to promote women, for example, than men who are married to working wives, which shows that, 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 that wives uh, can have a big influence on. The attitudes of men. So that's a very, a very nice strategy. Bob.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's uh, being uh, uh, a husband. Uh, I definitely, I am way more happy when my wife's happy and whatever she suggests, I'm 100% behind it. Now, if I want to do something, it's a lot tougher. I have to debate it. I have a PowerPoint presentation. There's like, there's a grace period. We have to do some AB testing and then it becomes okay to do. But by that time, I'm not into doing it anymore. Um, so, it's it's the dilemma of, of, of the male. Um, I wanted to thank you, Gloria, for coming on the show today. I had a fantastic chat, as usual, because it's the second time you've been on the show. Um, and definitely, I'm going to do a big shout-out to all our listeners. Uh, if you're a guy, for gosh sakes, read this book. If you're a woman, please read the book, because you'll have a very smug expression at the end of reading it. Uh But for sure, this is great stuff. I think it's totally applicable to the bottom line. And whether you're the owner of a company or you are uh, somebody that is in an organization, you would like to be recognized as a person that helped revolutionize that company, maybe this is an angle you can use to supercharge your career. So, Gloria, thank you again for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for, for, for having me on. It's been great to chat again, Bob.
0: Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show, and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.